We're going. Episode 1, 207 Collective. I'm sitting here with uh, Mr. John Harrison. How's it going, buddy? It's going really well. Uh, thanks, Justin, for inviting me over here to do episode one of one. I'm pretty excited to uh, talk to you about my job and my career. Yeah, so basically the idea of like why I wanted to do this podcast was... I just want to talk to different business owners, people that have cool jobs, people that have different hobbies, basically just live, you know, slightly abnormal lives than, you know, the most of us. And I was trying to think, you know, who would be pretty cool for episode one. And I couldn't think of, you know, that many people that I knew that have been all over the world other than, you know, you and, you know, your brother, your old man. So, uh. I asked you to be number one. Hey, I, I, I certainly appreciate that, and I and I think I fit fit the description there, <laughs> you know, uh, as far as an, uh, an extreme different job for sure that you know maybe people might not know about. So I, I think I think that we will be able to accomplish what you're looking for here today. So what is it? So give me a basic idea of what you do for a living. Okay, so uh, my official title, I guess, would be Merchant Marine. You know, and um, basically, um, I'm a commercial seafarer. Um, I went to Maine Maritime Academy in 2012. I graduated, and um, from there, um, I obtained my U.S. Coast Guard license as a marine engineer. And as a marine engineer, I work on ships. And basically, I am responsible for the machinery, the propulsion, uh, anything mechanical on board the ship. Uh, I work in the engineering department. You know, the ship has two different departments. You have a deck and engineering department. I work in the engineering department. Uh, currently, I see a sail as first engineer. Uh, so I'm basically responsible for the entire engine room and all the machinery associated with the ship. So that's kind of like the general overview of like what I am responsible for. So, so it's always kind of blown my mind a little bit and like the curiosity part of it is how do you deal with, you know, the time away? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so for people that don't know, you know, when you're a merchant marine, um, you work, uh, like a rotation schedule, you know, it's not a nine to five job like most people have. So for me, uh, I work a three-month trip uh, where I'm at work on the ship, in the ocean, we're traveling around the world, and then I'm home for three months. So that in itself is pretty extreme. You know, most people don't have that dynamic with their significant other, you know, and it's something that I think I realized that I have a good job. I have to provide for my family. So you kind of put that in your head and you can justify leaving your family for three months. You know, I, I feel like I'm very lucky to be able to do that and then to be home for three months where, you know, maybe someone that works a nine to five, you only see your kids at night for a few hours. You know, when I'm home, I'm with my family and my daughter and I get to spend the whole day with them, you know, it can be good and it can be bad. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But, but for me, it's a blessing, you know, and, I, and I'm thankful that I have a strong wife at home at the home front and, you know, it's kind of evolved shipping. Um, 
you know, we went from, you know, the old guys will tell you, you know, we used to, there used to be one computer on the ship. We'd get one email, the captain would get it and he would give you the email from your wife or your significant other. You know, now it's kind of evolved with all this technology we have in the world. You know, we just got Starlink on the ship and that is a game, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. I can FaceTime my wife and my daughter at home and that's like a huge morale booster. So that really helps me you know, justify what I'm doing. And I, and I think a lot of the guys, you know, you know, we might look like big, tough, burly guys, you know, but deep down inside, you know, I would say 80% of the guys out there are doing it for their families, you know? So I think there's some unity in that. And, you know, that's what motivates us to, to work hard, to be safe out there, to, to watch each other's back and to just go home safe is that we just want to come home to our families. So, so I think we get through it together and, you know, it's every day is a countdown, you know, you, you go on the ship for 90 days, you're like, I get to come home in 89 days, you know, and every day it's like we, we check the box, you know, so, so I, I think we get through it together, you know, you have to have a strong spouse at home and it's just a, it's a, it's a tremendous like teamwork thing, I guess you could say it's a, a lot of pieces fall together and you just deal with it because you're providing for your family, you know. I don't I don't think that I'll I'll do it forever, you know, because it, it opened a lot of opportunities for me being an engineer, you know. The sky's the limit for me. I can I can work on anything. I, I don't worry about that, you know. But for me the hardest thing lately has been we just had uh, our first daughter a couple years ago and that certainly changes things. I was gonna say that that had to have made like when you need to go back to the ship that, yeah, I call it the back to work blues. Is yeah, what, is what was what we all call it. You know, you get like depressed for a week because you know it's coming. You know, it's like going to prison almost. You, you know, some and some guys call it prison with a chance of drowning. You know, and that's that's not far from the truth. You know, you're stuck on the ship. You work long hours. You miss your family, but there's always an end in sight. You know, you're going to come home and you're going to see him again. You have to leave to come back. So, you know, we always try to keep that positive mentality, you know, and I grew up in a merchant marine family. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, like, you know, obviously growing up in it, your father, you know, did it, retired from it. Did that have a lot to do with why you got into it? Absolutely. You know, and, and my dad never, he never like, my dad never like pushed me to do what I do. Um, he... He definitely encouraged me and supported me when I when I made the decision. It was pretty cool, you know. We had talked about it, and he kind of said, "Hey, you can have a good life doing it." And I, I obviously knew that, you know. I had a very good life growing up, and you know, at, at, when you're young, you don't understand why dad leaves, you know, which is tough for, right. for any kid. Right. And you know, once you get old enough to be like, "Wow, this is why we get to have some new sneakers," and you know, why we can go on a cool trip, you know, and it's because dad provides. I was like, this could be this could be something I could see myself doing. You know, we were always doing little little things in the garage, tinkering on stuff, and and I and he was like, you know, it's kind of like what I do at work. And you know, I I knew what my dad did, but I like I, I really didn't know. You know, like you have some idea, and I think that was part of my dad being my dad. You know, he exposed what he needed to expose, and he didn't what he didn't. You know, because there's always positives and negatives to everything. And. He basically said, "If you want to go there, we'll go. We'll go and check it out." And he had he hadn't been to Maine Maritime since he had graduated. That was the first time he had been back. Was when I had interest in going there in uh, two thousand eight, maybe. So it was like pretty pretty far out for him. He said to go back up there and, and see the place. And but you know, I know I know he's so proud right now. You know, both as you know myself and my brother. 
decided to do it. And I, it's a great, it was a really a great decision that my dad let me choose, you know? So I'm very grateful for that for sure. Yeah. So as far as, I mean, obviously traveling, you've been on a plane more than, oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, definitely do a ton of traveling. Um, but I mean, as far as like my friends that I know that have traveled across the world and have been all the places kind of like you have, I can only think of two and that'd be you and your brother, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny you say that because like when I left my house, I, I'm going to, I'm going to open my phone up real quick. I took a picture. I have this map. I'll, I'll let you look at it. And if you like zoom in, you can see there's like these push pins in it and you can see like there's the, there's the East coast right there, you know? And yep. it's like the entire East coast of the United States is littered. But then if we zoom out and we look at the world, okay, here's South America, Mexico, uh, Africa. Uh, you can see that's where I crossed the equator. You know, we did a shellback ceremony. We could talk about that. You know, there's, there's so many places, you know, all of Europe, Scandinavia, um, you know, far East, like Korea, Japan, uh, down into Malaysia. I haven't been to Australia and Antarctica. Those are the only two I have left. And my ship, we go to Australia sometimes. So I think, I think I could probably go to all the continents if I really tried. We do have some ships that go to Antarctica. They, they like, they like fuel the bases down there. Or the I'm not bases, but the uh, the research centers down there. So I have been blessed in that aspect uh, to travel the world and see a lot of stuff. Um, so it it's a plus of the job for sure, but it doesn't guarantee that we get to spend time in these places. You know? Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, how how often how often are you off of the ship? Yeah, so that's a great question because. There's no good answer for that question. You know, it, it, you know, global shipping, it's all about the bottom dollar for sure for these big companies, you know, so, so they want us obviously to be in these ports as fast as we can and out of them as quick as possible. But, um, you know, for the most part, I would say we're in these ports less than 24 hours. Uh, and you know we try for me i run the engine room department like we were talking about a little bit earlier and we have only one main engine on the ship so like that's when we're doing all our maintenance for us you know so we always try to hit it hard when we first get in get all our stuff done and then, and then if i can let the boys go we hit the town and we get to try to experience culture which i've been so fortunate you know like you know if we if we go to, to japan i'm gonna eat real japanese food you know or we go to China, I'm eating real Chinese food. It's right. the real deal. It's really cool to experience it, you know, in the country and then compare it to like an Americanized, you know, thing. I, w I will say when I know you're, when, when I know you're gone, anytime I see that I get a Snapchat or something from you, I'm, I'm usually pretty excited to open it up because you never have any idea what you're about to see when you open those things up or where you are or. You know, you're at a hockey game somewhere overseas or you're in some kind of crazy restaurant or, you know. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And, like, I try to, like, you know, like, as I get older, I kind of get off social media. And that's kind of why I was so excited to do this is because it, it, it gives me a chance to kind of, like, you know, put some light on what, what a merchant marine is and, like, what we do. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've had some really cool experiences and I, and I love to share that with my friends like you. It's, it's neat to like say, Hey, look, this is where we are. Or even like some of the work stuff, you know, that we do, you know, most people don't understand, you know, the size of these ships. So like they see something and they're like, Whoa, 
that's what you're doing and i'm like yeah that's what that's my bread and butter you know that's what that's what pays the bills well i mean i, I remember opening up snapchats and seeing videos of just endless ferraris and range rovers and lamborghinis and yeah so so that's cool so so you're bringing up a cool point there that people might not know about me so i, I work on a, a car carrier ship right and um if we were to load the ship this is kind of like to think about like to, to put it in perspective for an everyday person right Say we, we went and, and got Honda Civics or like, you know, a, a regular compact car like that, I guess. We could hold almost 6,500 pure cars. So the ship that I work on is like a giant floating parking, uh, parking garage. Yeah, parking garage. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's pretty and it's pretty far out if you've never like been on a ship, you know, like I've had some of my cousins and family visit, you know, like we, we're pretty lucky. We go to Rhode Island sometimes it's close to home and, and they get to come down and they like, wait, we can drive our car on this. You're sure it's okay. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we have like 5,000 cars on right now. I don't think one more is going to flip us over, you know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty, it's pretty far out. If you, if you just, it's just the size, the sheer size of a ship for most people, it just like blows them out of the water. No, no pun intended there. Yeah. <laughs> right. So as far as, you know, you know, you, it's a lot of work all the time. You're, you're hanging out on the boat, on the ship. Sorry, you said earlier. You yeah. Were... During our sound check, we were talking about a boat versus ship. And, and I just said the simplest way to understand that is, you know, boats go on the decks of ships. And, and we, take, we take boats all around the world, too. People send their yachts all over the place. They don't sail them around the world. That, that's what, what, what us, the rail sailors, are for, you know. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you do, you know, if there is any, as, as far as downtime goes, like while you're on the ship? Sure. Uh, so I guess, I guess the best way to explain this would be to talk about, like, I guess my, my, my regular day. Yeah, what's your, what, what, what is your routine? Yeah, you? sure. Okay. So um, my routine, I start... I'm I'm usually up at like six thirty seven in the morning. We, we try, we try to stay as like rested as you can on a ship, you know. And and guys that are merchant marines are gonna laugh when they hear that because there, there's like no such thing. So you know, we start our morning. We have breakfast. We usually go down in, in the morning, and I and I usually have a morning meeting with with the engineering department. So uh, my department on the ship, there's gonna be a chief engineer, a first engineer, myself a second engineer, a third engineer. And then we usually have like three unlicensed guys and that's it. That's, that's what runs the engineering department. So usually we get together in the morning. It's a pretty like uh, close knit group of guys. We talk about what we're going to get accomplished for the day. And most of our day is preventative maintenance. So that meaning like, you know, greasing, checking, uh, vibrations, temperatures, pressures. Uh, we have a pretty extensive maintenance program that we have to stay on top of. Um, because we're living on the ship, you know, that's, that's our house. That's our, that's everything to us, you know, that, that, that's how important it is. So, so we do our maintenance, you know, we'll have lunch noon, take an hour lunch break, come back. We do, we try to wind it down in the afternoon. We, we do, we like hit it really hard in the mornings, try to wind it down by dinner time, take an hour for dinner. And then the guys come down, we work overtime and, uh, mostly overtime's like cleaning up prepping stuff for the next day and then uh after that is when we have our, our leisure time like you were asking about and we kind of talked about it earlier like the biggest game changer for us is like we have starlink now so you know before we might want to play cards you know or we 
we'll sit in one of the lounges. You know, we have a dart room on the ship. We can play darts, ping pong, uh, no pool tables. You know, that doesn't work in the ocean. <laughs> we got uh, a TV lounge. You know, we can watch a couple movies, uh, things like that. You know, a lot of guys exercise. We have a really nice gym. Uh, we have a saltwater swimming pool. Uh, our ship is is outfitted better than most ships um, as far as, like, mental health and, and leisure goes. And then, you know, if we're in port, obviously, we're going to try to go out, have a few drinks, have a good dinner, try some local cuisine. But, we, you know, you have to be careful with what we do because, you know, you don't want to be up until 5 in the morning, you know, scrolling on your phone or midnight or whatever, you know. Because you got to work the next day and, and you're working on your everything. So it's always a fine line. You know, you, you, you call your family. And a lot of times, you know, I would think a lot of guys will tell you what they do when they're, they're off time to sleep. You know, you try to sleep when you can because you just never know what's going to happen on a ship. I was going to say, you must be pretty much on call, right? Yeah, on call all the time. You're absolutely right. So the way uh, the ship I work on, there's, there's basically two different ways the ships are kind of run. And uh, it's called day work or watch standing. And watch standing means that there would be someone in the engine room all the time. So someone's always on watch. There's always a guy down in the control room to make decisions. Well, that's not the case in the ship I work on. We're on man engine room, which is, we love it. It's day work. We work during the day. Every third night, you have a, a duty. So what that is, you make a, a safety round at night of the engine room. You kind of check everything and you put her to bed for the night. And then you have a, we have a watch call system where... In your room, you know, you get at a machinery space alarm. It's a really loud buzzer. It'll wake you up in the middle of the night. And you have to respond to what's going on. And a lot of times, it's our it's our own selves. We, we make our own alarms on accident. We call them nuisance alarms. You know, maybe we forgot to fill a tank. You know, that's got to be filled every 24 hours. Or, you know, maybe maybe we forgot to put some oil in something and we, we, we get into some rough weather and boom, we got to add a little bit of oil to something. A lot of times that that's what it is, but then also you have things like fire alarms, you know, because like we are the fire brigade, you know, we're kind of like jacks of all trade. So and then also for me, the hardest thing is like I'm the first engineer. So, you know, the chief engineer doesn't get phone calls in the middle of the night. I'm, I'm the guy that gets the phone calls, you know, which is no big deal. I love the guys I work with. I tell them. If you're in doubt at night and you don't know what's going on, just call me. We can, you know, nine times out of ten with the guys I work with, we can talk through it on the phone and I don't have to get out of bed, which is kind of cool, you know. But if, if I got to get up, that's my job at the end of the day, and, and I don't have any problem doing it just because of the guys I work with. It's a good group of guys, and, and we really care about the ship that we work on. So you've been on quite a few different ships. Yeah. Uh, so when I first started working... Uh, I took the first job that they gave me. I applied all over the place, you know, and, and they always say the job placement is super high as much Marine it is. It's like, it's in the nineties. Um, I had a bunch of job offers and I just took the first one that came to me and it was working in New York Harbor, uh, for a company called McAllister and they're, they're tugboats. And I started working on these tugboats and I, and I fell in love with them. They're really cool. It's not a big ship, you know, tugboats push ships around. But for me, you know, as a young man that had just graduated from college, I didn't know a lot. I was like, this is a good opportunity to learn things. So I got on these tugboats, and they're, a lot of them are old and broken. So I was always fixing things, and I, and I attribute that to, like, 
uh, a lot of my strong mechanical skills come from tugboats because you have to fix everything. There's nothing new about them, you know? So well, I mean, they just so, get beat to shit all the time yeah, anyway. Yeah. You, know, and, just... you know, they're always on the rev limiter, pushing these giant ships and, you know, thousand foot ships in New York Harbor. And, you know, it's a collision sport. All the captains say, you know, you get knocked out of your bed at night. It's like, it's like, it's, it's pretty wild, you know? It's like cowboy. We always call tugboats cow, cowboy stuff, you know? And, and, I, and I really enjoyed that, and I had fun. I met a lot of good guys. Uh, we just had fun. You know, it was cool. I was working, uh, you know, like a month on, a month off in New York Harbor. It's like a 45-minute flight. It was great. You know, I was young. I was making money. And then, uh, I, you know, then the golf started really booming. And I had one buddy that just texted me one day and was like, hey, I, I'm working for this company called Hornbeck. They're, they're new. They're up and coming. They're building all these uh, OSVs and what an OSV is an offshore supply vessel. So in the oil field, you have these drilling rigs, semi-submersibles, platforms and stuff, and they all need to get supplies. They need to get drilling mud, oils, you know, just their lubricants. They need to get diesel fuel to run their, their machinery. Yeah, for sure. They need to get drill pipe and stuff like that. Um, so I, I took a job for Hornbeck and I worked on these OSVs in the Gulf and I, I went there because I had gained some experience and they were paying crazy salaries and I met a lot of cool guys down there. I learned a lot of stuff. I worked on a brand new ship. It was cool. I got to see a lot. I learned a lot about dynamic positioning, you know, which uses satellites to interface the ship, to like drive the ship. It's, it's pretty cool. I, and I learned a ton about automation there. So so I got a lot of my mechanical knowledge from the tugboats, and I got a lot of my automation, electrical knowledge from these offshore supply vessels. They were new, state-of-the-art, cutting edge. And then the Gulf started downturning, and you know that was a private company, and and it, and they just said, "Hey, you're getting a pay cut today," and that was the end of it, you know. And for me, I was like, "Wow, that's kind of scary." So I kind of started exploring my options, and I had applied to a union uh, AMO. Amer uh, American Maritime Officers, and um, they called me one day. I was having a bad day in the Gulf, and they said, hey, you want to go work on this Roro? And I, I was like, Roro? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I was like, yeah, okay. Well, when do I start? And they're like, uh, they were like, I don't know. I can't remember the exact thing, but it was yeah. like, you get home on a Friday, and you start on a Sunday. And, and my wife, Amanda, was like, I hope you're making the right decision here, you know, and, and, and it was, you know, so, so I took this job on a Roro as a, as a second engineer. And at the time I was sailing chief engineer. So it was, a, it was a demotion for me, but I, I realized that I hadn't been deep sea and I, and I hadn't seen a slow speed since college, the, the main propulsion. And I said, I'll just take the second job and see what's up. So I took this job and I met the guys that I'm working. With. I've been on the same ship for almost seven years now. This, this one I'm on this Roro, it's called the MV Patriot. And I, I really good guys, love the guys I work with. We have each other's backs, and then, and I learned the railroad game. And then uh, there was an opportunity like right off the bat to sail first, so I, I took the job, and I, I've been sailing first there six years, I guess. And I'm just patiently waiting for a promotion. You know, it, it's coming down the line. You know, I'm ready, and and when the time comes, I, I will gladly take it. You know. But uh, so, so yeah, I've, I have a pretty like blended set of skills through my different types of sailing experiences in my career for sure. Yeah, I've seen a lot of different things. So like the different guys that you work with, I mean, it's got to be a pretty wild and diverse group of guys 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, from all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what's crazy is like, you know, to be a merchant marine, you don't have to live by the ocean. You don't have to live by the sea. You can live anywhere. You, you can go anywhere. And, you know, you, you just fly to wherever the ship is and you hop on and then you, you bon voyage and that's it, you know, which is pretty wild to think of, you know, think about like, think about like you walking into a room with 20 people, you don't know any of them. And then you guys are going to sail the ship and you just met. And it's, it's a pretty strange, like when you actually like sit down and think about that, like it's kind of strange. Like you feel like you should have some sort of relationship with these guys before you, <laughs> before you're trusting them with your life, you know, but that's not how it works. You know, we're all supposed to have these skills, the skill set, you know, to, to keep us going. And obviously it's not like that. You know, there's, there's obviously really good guys and really bad guys. Right. So, so I think that's why it's so important when you, when you get a good group of guys, you hold on to that, like it's a gold bar, you know, and, and that's what we do. We, we are so proud of our ship and, and the guys, the guys that I've met and work with, you know, guys from Portland, Maine that you would never have met, but, but we work on the same ship together, you know, and now we hang out in Portland with this guy that I work with, or, you know, I got some guys that we work with that are from Panama and, and like, they're like, Oh, come down anytime. You know, I've had a bunch of guys come to Maine that are like, oh, I've always wanted to go to Maine, you know, this time home, uh, I'll give a shout out to my buddy, Jerry, you know, he, uh, a guy I met this trip, you know, a new third mate, he, he had, he had been working on the ocean when, you know, he's a little bit older, he's my age in his thirties. It was his first third mate job. And like, we hit it off good. He was a really good sailor. We became friends and he's like, I've never been to Maine. I was like, come on up. So he came home and visited with us and you know, my wife loves it. It's cool. So like, I have some good connections like that too. Like the guys you meet, you know, it's like all over the world. If I wanted to go see my buddies in Panama, I could, I could go down there and see him, you know, they're, they're like, they're like my best friends, you know, and my right hand man, Joe, that I work with, you know, he's got three beautiful girls in Florida. They're like family to us, you know, it's like, we're so connected and the wives are all connected, you know, the other second engineer, Andy lives in Rhode Island and like the wives are all connected and sending packages and it's like, it really becomes <clears throat> like a, it's a family effort, you know, and, and it's not like that everywhere. It's a very special thing that, that I have. And that's why I hold it so dear to me because a lot of ships you get on, you know, it's not like that, you know, because, you know, we're out there to make money and a lot of these high paying ships, you know, everyone's at each other's throats looking for the promotion or, or, or you know, because this, the culture, you know, they always talk about culture on these ships. It's not there. And, and some guys don't care. They're in it to make the money and, and they're not going to treat you right or whatever. But, but at the end of the day, it's like you live with these guys day in, day out, every second, every minute. You have to like each other, you know. So, so I'm very grateful for that, you know. My my good connections on the ship I'm on right now. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be those times though where you're. Oh, it's it's a it's a tough environment, Justin. I'll, I'll tell you that <laughs> because it's like, you know, you you know, and it's and it's a, it's a pretty male driven you know industry, you know, and and you know we can have our opinions on stuff, and, and you know you might not like the way someone does something, but you know if it's the chief engineer and he tells you to do something, you, you gotta you remember there's a hierarchy in life, you have right. to respect that and, and do what he says. And of course you're gonna have you know arguments on, well it's easier to do it this way or you know this is faster, or, this is more efficient or no that's not how this works, you know. But like I think when 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 you uh, when you when you open up your mind a little bit and and, and realize you know there's more than one way to skin a cat and and you can be more accepting of other people's ideas. It helps a lot, but it's not like it's not like that everywhere. 
but uh, yeah, yeah. There's it's a definitely a weird social dynamic on a ship. You know, it's hard to explain on like a like a podcast like this because like until you like put yourself in a scenario where you're like, okay, I'm I, I'm just walking on the ship. I don't know anybody. You know, how do I want to come off as? Do I want to be? Do I want to be a hard ass guy? Do I want to be? you know, uh, a caring guy? Do I want to be just a quiet, keep to myself? You know, you, you kind of can be whoever you want to be. And it's just, it can be really, it can be difficult at times, but like once once you've got a good mesh with your guys, it's awesome. It's it's like everything we do, you know, and we've done for the last years, it's real seamless. And, and it's, and, it, and, and to be honest with you, it's a lot funner too, you know, when you can like, you know, you can get your work done and you can be like, hey, you know, we've been thinking about making these, you know, whatever you want to make a project we call it we call them home improvement projects right you know we treat the ship like our house so if, if we want to like put these racks up or or build some sort of mount for something that makes our jobs easier we do that all the time we, we love doing that stuff so yeah there's definitely a strange social dynamic on ships for sure so i mean obviously you know you've been in it for a while there's obviously the downside to it not you know besides missing the family and all that like you know, the thought's got to always be there is, you know, going through your mind, thinking about maybe it's your last trip. Yeah, no. Because you know, you, you've obviously, you, your brother, I know of, you know, have lost some people. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So now we're going into the hard questions for sure. Yeah, this is the, the good juice for the podcast, right? Yeah, we can, we, we can go down this road easy. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, it's a strange thing, right? Because... For, for land people, as we call them, you know, the people that just live on land and they look at us like we're crazy. You, like you go on a, a giant ship that's made out of steel that, that weighs, you know, 65,000 tons and it floats somehow, you know, like you, you can't think about it too much. You get on this ship and you have to tell yourself this is a regular job. I'm a glorified floating mechanic. You kind of you don't want to think about the negative. But you have to think about the negative because when you have a scenario where you're having a, an emergency or a critical failure, you have to be able to keep your cool because no one's coming to save you. You know, you are your savior. Um, so, so for me, like, you know, we, we do our safety training and it's rigorous weekly. We do drills, you know, and it can be for us, it can be boring, you know, and stuff like that. But in the back of your mind, you have to say, hey, wait a minute, what if this really happened, you know? So for me, I think that I, I, I understand this, you know, the reality of it that, yeah, it could happen, you know, but then you have to think about like how often has it really happened, you know, and, you know, you know, recently the Alfaro was going to be a big one, you know, obviously, you know, right. and, and I had a close friend, Mike, that was on there. And, and for me, that put things into perspective because it wasn't just long ago that, you know, we were in college together and life was good and we were excited. And, you know, the next thing you know, you know, for me, I remember the day because I was in the Gulf and, and my buddy Jared had had saved the sat C message and it's like a fancy satellite message, you know, and, and it, it goes off in the bridge and it's like, and it's very obvious, you know, it's like, uh-oh, what's going on on, the, on that? And there was a message It was like, uh, something along the lines of like missing ship, Alfaro debris field, and it had like the latitude, longitude, and stuff like that. And then like that's for me when I had my first like hard time, I guess you could say, because I was like, whoa, 
Mike is on that ship. And then I was like, wait a minute, this kid Dylan, this kid Dylan Mecklen had just graduated from school, and I was like, I think he was on that ship. And and then all of a sudden, you know, your phone starts blowing up. Boom, boom, boom. Hey, did you get that? Did you did you hear about that? Like, what's going on? Have you heard anything? You know, hey, are you at work? Are you okay? You know, so you get the you get the people that think you might have been on the ship, right? Which is great. You can text them and say, no, I wasn't, you know. But then in the back of your mind, you're like, wait a minute, my, my friend was on there, you know. And you're like, hopefully they're, you know, hopefully it's they're, they're lost at sea or they, they've lost communication. You always hope for the best, you know, right. when you're at sea. You never think about the worst possible scenario. And it never crossed my mind, you know. I'm like, oh, they probably lost an antenna on something. They, they lost communication. I remember talking to Mike's mom about stuff, you know, and. And then, like, then, then, like, you start thinking about it, and you're like, man, that was a pretty big ship. Like, if that sunk, like, what, what was going on? You know, like, what, how, how crazy was the ocean? You know, and it's a, such a powerful force, the ocean. And I just remember thinking, there's no way that happened. You know, there's no way a, in modern times. You know, you don't even like. For, that's kind of like how I deal with it. You know, to answer your question, it's like you don't even think about it. it's plot. You don't think it's a possibility. You have to think it's impossible. But, but really, like I said in the back of your mind, you know it's it can just happen. It can happen from anything. You know, it's like, you know, we always like we clean these giant sea strainers on the ship. You know, it's it's like a a a giant. I don't know what what, what I could compare it to size wise. You know, maybe like what is that like three feet, four feet yeah. wide maybe. You know, with a, with a pipe this big. You know, a two and a half foot pipe going into it. You know, you close valves on either side of this thing. You open this thing up, and you pull the strainer. It takes an hour, you know. But it's like, man, what if that valve blew out? There's nothing on the other side of the valve but the ocean, you know. And I've seen pictures of engine rooms flooded all the way up to the control rooms, you know. So, like, for me, I always think about that stuff, and we mitigate that risk by, by changing the sea strainer when we're tied to the dock. You ain't going to sink much in port, you know? You might sit on the bottom. You might <laughs> right. sit on the bottom and flood the engine room, but, like, we don't clean the sea strainer at sea. You know, if, if, obviously, if, you know, if we had a dire situation where we had to, we could do it, you know? But we, we try to always mitigate our risk with stuff like that, you know? Even, like, things nowadays that, like, you wouldn't normally think could could be a, an accident or an incident. It could easily be, you know? Right now, we have a lot of problems with fuel, you know, due to emissions and stuff like that. Well, we have one main engine. We lose the main engine. Well, we're probably going to run into something if we don't have a tugboat or if we're not in the middle of the ocean. So, you know, like when we're when we're you know close to land, we have to switch into diesel fuel. It's much safer, you know. So there's a there's a ton of risk mitigation to kind of like leave that you know doubts out of your head, I guess, yeah. about stuff like that. But like, it's only as good as the sailors that practice the methods. For sure. Well, you said you switch over to diesel fuel. What do you what do you guys run? Normally, yeah, that's that's a cool question. So yeah, so these 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 shipping companies are all you know it's all money at the end of the day. So for us to burn like regular diesel fuel, you know, I mean, we might get a bulk discount on it, but it's still expensive. So uh, most of the countries in the world, they have a an uh, ECA, right? So an ECA is a uh, an area outside the country where you can be on burn whatever. The world doesn't care, which is I'm I'm saying that like a, like jokingly because now the world cares about emissions and and it's kind of affecting us. But we can, we can talk about that after. But so so normally we're like along the coast, we're 200 miles from the coast. We're gonna burn diesel fuel for emissions and then just for like the safety thing. What we're talking about, it's right. a, lot, a lot safer. 
And then when we go to C, we get out of this, this ECA and we burn uh, a heavier residual fuel. So this stuff has to be heated. Uh, it's like tar if it gets to room temperature, right? So it's just like unrefined, uh, higher emissions, but it's dirt cheap, you know? Oh, shit. Yeah. And now the the HFO, hot, uh, you know, heavy fuel oil, now is called very low sulfur fuel oil because of all these, um, you know, the climate, the climate change in the world and stuff like that. Shipping's, can, you know, they, they say it contributes to carbon emissions, uh, sulfur, uh and what's the other one? Nitrogen, SOX, and NOx emissions. Um, so, you know, a more refined, cleaner burning fuel is what this very low sulfur is. But we've had a ton of problems with it. You know, it's not as compatible with diesel. Uh, it's got to be, it's very temperature sensitive. Uh, you know, sometimes we get these bad batches, you know, and we follow the instructions to the T. And, you know, we're getting alarms for, for strainers, you know, and they're completely plugged with, it's like a hard plastic, you know, that will just clog up everything and then you're not going to get any fuel in your engine. You know, I, I was dealing with that kind of last trip and I think the guys are still dealing with it right now at work where we can only run our purifier for like a half hour and it would be completely full of just trash, you know. So the world has all these like climate concerns and stuff like that, you know, to burn this fuel and stuff like that, but they never really figured it out. You know, they're still figuring it out. And it affects us in a negative way, you know. So I don't, I don't think a lot of people see would would know that or see that, you know. Right. But like, you know, we deal with it. So yeah, we so so yeah. In, in short, there's two different fuels. You know, when we're in the deep ocean, we burn this cheaper fuel, more cost effective. And then uh, when we're when we're close to close to the land, we're burning diesel. And like for us, like uh, when we're at sea, we're making our power from like a shaft generator that comes from the main engine. So. Uh, we're not running generators at sea. We're kind of stealing power from that to make power. And then obviously our diesel generators in port, when we're slowed down, they run on uh, diesel fuel all the time. We don't switch those over. So as far as, I mean, you've been to, you couldn't count on both hands how many countries you've been to. Yeah, probably not hands and toes for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I look at that map and like, yeah, I've been been to a few places for sure. Yeah, what uh, what out of those ones stick out as far as? Oh, this is the question that everybody asks me, and I hate this question, you know, because like, for me, I I remember growing up. I mean, we're both from Little Alfred, Maine. You know what I right. mean? It's a small town, America, and I remember growing up thinking, man. This place sucks, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, you know, but it's like. I remember thinking, I just need How about to... you, but I fucking love Alfred. Yeah, well, and that's where I'm going with this, Justin, is like, I, I, I thought about it my whole life, and I was like, man, I just want to get out of here. I just want to get out of here. And uh, I'll kind of spin your, your question. You know, I've been to a lot of cool, good places, but I've also been to a lot of really poor and sad places in the world. You right. Know? And, and I kind of remember going around, and I was thinking to myself, man, John, Alfred, Maine does not suck. That's, just, that's where you want to be. If you want to be in a small community like that, you know, where, you know, you see your friends at the store, you know, you drive through town, you know, for the longest time, what, we had one stoplight in town, you know, like, that's awesome, you know. And it's hard for me to, to put a, a favorite place, you know, because, like, I spent so much time in different places, you know, like, we just went through a shipyard and I, and I spent, we spent like a little over a month in Poland. And you, and for me, it wouldn't have been a box, like, I need to go to Poland, but I was like, I want to go back there, you know, because, like, 
every place you go, you kind of like, you learn the culture and you start to talk to the people and you learn like, you know, their views on the world and stuff like that. And just, just to like meet new people like that and make connections. You know, I've, I've made a lot of connections through, you know, like technicians that work with us. You know, I have good friends like, you know, in Norway or Germany and stuff like that. You know, really good, good, you know, smart guys that we stay connected with. So it's hard for me to put a favorite place. Uh, you know, like, I, I, I think that what I usually do with this question is I like to spin it and I like to say like all the places I've been, you know, because it's like the easy, it's the yeah, right. easy, it's the right. easier thing, you know, like. South Africa was really cool, you know. I've been I've been down there to like experience that, but that was like one of those places where uh, we were in. You know, we we made like three port calls, and I got off the ship and I flew home from Durban. I'll never fly home from Africa again. It's like the longest flight in the world that you can take. But like, we're like, man, this place is so beautiful, and like we were going out. We had a hotel, then we flew home, and then we met some locals, and they're like, you guys shouldn't be down here. They're like, this is like a super dangerous neighborhood, and that's where we were like staying in the hotel, and we were just being sailors, like <laughs> being social with everybody, you know, like, you guys probably shouldn't be here, you know? So like kind of naive with some of that stuff, you know, but no one tends to bother us. I've been, Japan's really cool. I really like, you know, there's a ton of like culture in Japan. They're really honorable people, respectful to everybody. I really like Japan. I'd love to go like spend, it's like, I wish I could go to all these places I've been and just spend more time because you get like a little taste of it, you know? It's kind of be like, you know, when you go to like Disney World for like a week. Yeah. Like it's not enough. Yeah. Like, it's like, enough to hook you and you make you want to go right. back. Right. You you need to go for a while because, you know, you've only seen, you know, half of what's there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So debated on whether or not I was going to ask you this or not. Should I be nervous? Should I be nervous? No, no, you're good. <laughs> so obviously the Starlink, you have you know the FaceTime. So I mean daily, you're you're talking to your wife, you're seeing pictures yeah. and videos, talking to your daughter. Yep. Are you shocked like when you come home after three months and oh. like the difference from the last time you left? Man, I I like I understand now what like, my parents went through growing up. You know, like being a parent, I was just like. You know, like like you said, like FaceTime's one thing. You know, you see your daughter and she's like, oh, hi, Dad. And then she's off playing with her toys, you know. And then you get home and she looks at you like, who are you, you know. And you're like, I'm your dad. Hey, I'm your dad, you know. And, like, Allie warmed up to me really quick, you know, when I got home this time. And, and like, it was cool because Amanda and Allie got to come down to the ship in Rhode Island. So it, it was a really uh, important life experience for me because I remember going on my dad's ships when I was a kid, you know. My mom would drive in these snowstorms and go up to Belfast and we would go on the ships and like, those are some of my strongest childhood memories. I just remember going on these ships and be like, wow, this thing's huge, you know? And like, I, and I remember being a kid, you know, and like, I remember missing my dad, you know? So like, in a way, I know what my daughter's about to go through, you know? And if we have more kids, I know what they're going to go through. And, and it's not easy, you know, at all. Does it, does it make you think... A little more about maybe, I mean, do you want to retire doing this job or do you? Yeah, that's a tough question. That's a super tough question because it's hard. It's hard to say, to be honest with you. You know, it's like I'm very grateful for the life it's given me. But at the same time, you know, it's opened a lot of doors. You know, if I wanted to, I can I could go down any any avenue if I wanted to do HVAC or electrical. Um heating plumbing uh diesel machinery i mean there's just 
the, the possibilities are endless for me and I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, it's that trade off, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you go live with the devil for a few months and then, and then you're home and, and it's great, you know, and then you get that week of depression before you go back, you know, it's hard to pack your bag. You know, it's like every sailor in the world doesn't pack their bag until midnight the night before they leave just because you don't want to face that reality that you're going to leave your family. But but at the same time, like I said before, you have to leave to come back and you're providing for them. So, yeah, it's definitely tough to see your kids and they, they, they don't quite recognize you or, you know, that might be my fault for not getting a haircut before I come home. You know, <laughs> I, I probably look homeless half the time. And that's just like how guys kind of deal with it. You, you put it away, you know, like a man should and, and, and you realize that it's for your family. But it does. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make it any easier, you know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I I know like there's times when I see Emmett every day. Yeah. And like you'll just look at him one day and it's like Jesus Christ, you know how it's it's you, you just look huge today when like you can just tell they grew overnight, you know. Yeah. So No, I see that when I'm home too. So I know exactly what you're saying, and and it, yeah, it's it's like. The camera doesn't justify it for me, you know. It, it's like when you see that little girl runs at you with her arms open, you know, in the airport parking lot. You're like, oh, all that bullshit that happened at work doesn't even matter. You, you just, we call it, you know, me and my buddy Joe call it the the etch a sketch. You know, you just erase it out of your mind, and boom, you're home. You don't even. I don't think about, you know, I don't think about work at all when I'm home, which is kind of cool. Like, like you know, right. most people don't have that luxury. I, I, it's a luxury, really. No, you know? I, unfortunately, I have to think right. about it every day because right. I go there almost every day. Right, exactly. You know, so so for me to like come home and then be like, oh, all that, like you know, we might have had a tough trip and things might have broke every day. You know, that's shipping, and it was hard at work. But then you're home and you you know you you, you give your wife a hug and, and you pick your kid up and you're like, it's all worth it. You know, at the end of the day, for sure. And 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 you have to use it. You have to use it. You know, justified that that you are providing for your family. And there is no other way, you know, and I, and I, I think I could, I think I could see myself, you know, maybe putting 20 years in for sure. You know, my dad, my dad sailed a career like that. I know a lot of guys that have, I know guys that have sailed 30 years. I know guys that have sailed 10 years, start a business for me. I, I would, I would like to be home more, but it's like, how much time can I give myself? You know, if you start a business on your own, it can, you know, you see people that do that. They start a business and they're consumed by it. You know, they, they can't hide from it that, you know, and it's like, do I, do I see myself doing that? I don't know, to be honest with you. I, it's hard to say at this point in my life, you know, I think it would be interesting to ask me that question in a few years, you know, and see if there's more kids or, or whatever changes, you know, but for, for now, I think I'm going to stay sailing. I think that's kind of where, where my heart is. I, I, I love what I do. It's, it's super rewarding. You know, yeah, we're commercial, but we do a lot for the U.S. government, you know. So there's there's a lot of, you know, back behind-the-scenes stuff that people don't see that makes it rewarding for me, too. So I, I get a lot of personal satisfaction from what, from what I do, you know. And, and the responsibilities I have as, you know, we're, we're, we're young men in our 30s, you know. And to think, you know, I, I think about that a lot is that, man, there's this... This is giant, this ship, you know, these ships are astronomical money, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're operating all this machinery, multi-million dollar machinery. And it's like one little mistake could be devastating to not only the machinery, but the, the, the crew on right. board too. Right. And like, when you actually, that's what, that's what like, that's what makes it also worth it is like your self-worth in something in life, you know, is like, you're like, man, what I'm doing is like pretty extreme. It's like. 
you can't slack off. So it's like a high stress, high reward, you know? So, so yeah, for now, I think I, I will stay sailing for sure. And I mean, you've lucked out obviously with Amanda, Yeah. you know, meeting a woman Be- that you yeah. know, puts up with, you know, this kind of career. Absolutely. And- it's not for everybody, Justin, that's for sure. No, that, that that's awesome that, you know, she obviously knows you love what you do. Yeah, and, and she does. She, she truly knows that. And, like, I, I I really respect that. Like, she knows what to ask and what not to ask, you know, because there's certain things you don't want to ask of what what happens at work, you know. And she knows. She knows that line. And, and you know, for her right now, she's – we're lucky. Uh, she's, she, she, she was a surgical technologist at Maine Med, very successful. And, and we decided, both of us, that – she was going to stay at home with her daughter. And, and I also think about that, you know, we're super lucky that to have a stay at home mom in, in these times right now. So we have to look at all that too, you know, and we're like, you know, I have a strong wife. She runs the house when I'm gone. And I respect the, everything about that, you know, for sure. So super lucky, you know, it's not for everybody. No, for sure. And then she puts up with, you know, me, you know, like doing stuff like this, you know, like, hey, I got to go to Justin's to do a podcast and not drink any beer, you know, or or anything like that, you know, and and she knows, you know, and I I love that about her, you know, is is that she understands that, hey, when I'm gone, I miss my friends and I miss my family and like, I'm I'm constantly pulled in all these directions when I'm home, you know, people want help with this or, hey, you work on a ship, can you rebuild this for me or do that and it's like I, I can't say no you know so she's she knows I spread my, my myself thin when I'm home and and you know obviously my family is my number one priority but like I'm so grateful for her and my daughter for sure like uh it's it's not it's not everyone has that either too you know that's right. that's the dark side of it too Justin is that there's guys that go to work and that's all they have is work and I've seen that you know you know and not so much more in modern times. There's a lot of resources for guys that need help like that, or they they just like it can be a it can be a dark road sailing too, you know. But uh, I th- I think more than not the the way things are with the technology and stuff like that, everyone's pretty connected in that. Helps. Well, I mean, I I kind of see that part of it too. I mean, where I work at, there's a lot. We we've lost a lot of them, you know, due to. You know, when COVID hit, there was a lot of, uh, oh, man. COVID you know, vol- a whole, a you whole know, other podcast. Yeah, volunteer layoffs and that kind of thing. So we lost like a ton of our senior guys. But then, you know, we still have these guys that are, you know, they're in their 60s, even early 70s that have been working there for, you know, 40 plus years. And you're like, you know, you got a million, you're 401k. Like, you know, what are you doing? Like, get out of here. Yeah, I know. And, and the reason that they're there is... They, they, this is their social time. This yep. is what they do. Like they don't, they don't have anything. Yeah. That's, that's so true, Justin. I've seen that in my career too, is that they work is what they have in life. You know, and you know? clock in and you're walking through that long aisle to get to your, your know, workstation and you got to walk past two people that can barely, you know, make their way down the aisle way. Cause you know, the hips are gone, you know, they're just, they're just you know, almost to the point of being crippled and it's like, get out of this place and, you know, do something. But, and that's kind of what holds me on to it too. It's like, is, you know, guys always tell me, Hey, if you work hard, you put 20, 25 years and you can be done, you know? And it's like, and that, and that has been true to an extent, but like recently, you know how things are inflation right now is through the roof, you know? And and I work on ships that are contract negotiated every five years. So like, 
we're, we're really getting hit pretty hard, you know, with compensation right now. There's, there's a lot going on in the, in the U S fleet and it's not just the merchant Marines. It's like the whole world right now. Well, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it. I mean, we give your brother a lot of shit, you know, about all the money bags, all the money, all the the money you guys make on the ships, you know, buying all the toys and all that stuff. But I think that's a, yeah, that's not not so much anymore. Cause yeah, yeah, no, I, and that's, that's what my next, my, my, where I was going to go with that is like, there's, there's guys and, and we see it, you know, so, so part of the merchant Marines program, you know, you have to go to a military academy, right? So there's Maine, there's Mass, there's California, there's Texas and there's Kings Point, right? Did I say New York too? Nope. Okay. So, uh, you know, the only important one is Maine, obviously, right? So, you know, we, we, you know, part of your training program is that, is that you go as commercial shipping, right? So when you're, when you're a cadet in school, you you have to go on on a commercial ship and, and for two months, you know, so it's like your summer at sea basically, you know, and then your other two summers, you go on the school training ship and we, we get these cadets now and it's like, I've had a ton of really, really good cadets and I've also seen cadets that they're not interested in sailing. And I'm like, well, wait, why are you going to a maritime academy? You're taking someone's spot that wants to sail, you know, and they either want to go to the military or whatever, you know, you get some guys that go to school because they got to go to school to get the family business or, or you know what I mean? There's a million things, but it's like, I, I definitely have seen a big decline in kids that are interested in going to sea because... You know, that was always like the big allure was that, hey, you go to college for four years, you're going to make your first year as a third engineer. When I got to school, you're going to make 100000 a year. And you're like, you know, from a kid from Alfred, it's like, right? you said, what? 100000 <laughs> You know? And, and I was like, that's awesome, you know? But like, you know, as we grow up, you're like, well, $100,000, like, oh, let's be real. We could go out tonight, you know, we could go to Abbott's, you know, and, and we could buy two side-by-sides and we'd owe them money. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it doesn't yeah. go a hundred thousand doesn't go far, you know. So yeah, that it it's lost it's lost like that like big high money thing, you know. And like a lot of guys like realize that and they're like, hey, I can take this degree and do something else with it, and be just as successful being home every night. But then they don't get that pure time, you know, at home, or they they can't not think about work for a while, or you know like, you know like I'm in a union, you know, and it's like. I forget what my minimum requirement is. It may be six months a year I have to sail. So like if I really wanted to, you know, I could work two months, take seven months off and then work another, you know, a few months, you know, then there's guys that do that. They ship off like the job board. I prefer to be permanent on a ship, but yeah, I just don't think the younger generation as, as in, is like interested in it as, as it used to be because like they see it and like, this is dangerous. This is crazy. You know, and it, there's just not, there's not, I don't know if, I don't know if like our generation was a little, little like, like dumber and tougher or something. I don't know, you know, but it, it, it seems like the kids are just a lot smarter nowadays and, and they realize like, Hey, we're not there. You guys aren't making enough money out here. Like what's going on, you know? And I think it's starting to hit on a bigger scale because there, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on with the U S fleet than like the public eye sees, I guess. And like, unless you were in, 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 in the circle, you would never know, you know, but like, but like things like why would your iPhone cost four times as much or all of a sudden your sneakers are like three times as much or like, you know, you see all these like crisis in Los Angeles port. They can't, 
Well, none of that's like a crisis. It's all stuff that because they're not moving ships, they're not moving goods, right. or there's a union that's striking, you know, or whatever the media says it is. It's usually not the case, you know. So I, I definitely think I definitely think it's going to be interesting times moving forward in the Merchant Marine coming up here. Well, we're finding that like where I am for basic machinists. Oh yeah, you know guys that can run a lathe, run oh, a bridgeport, and like. Yeah, and like that's my job. That's my bread and butter. I can go. I, I love that. I love to machine. We have a we have a nice lid on the ship. Uh, we have like a drill press mill that we can do some milling. And like you know, I'll, I'll I'll ask the kids like, hey, can you can you make a bolt? And they're like, well, why would I need a bolt? I can go to the bin and make a bolt. And I'm like, well, can you make a right. you know a, a quarter a quarter twenty fine thread? You know, or you know, we're all metric. You know, so for us, it's you know metric super easy. You know, but it's like if you throw them for a loop and they're like. Well, I, I don't need to know how to do that. I can get one. It's like, no, man, when you're in the middle of the ocean, if you don't have the bolt you need to keep the ship running, you have to make it or you have to figure out something, you know? And I think that's, that's tough too, is like, you see that lack of just common sense, you know, like you're a tinker, like I am, you know, like we can go, we can go, you know, we're sitting next to this awesome vintage Honda Big Red, you know? And we like that stuff, you know, right. like, and maybe if we showed some of the kids that I've seen come through, they'd be like, why are you guys interested in that? We're like, well, it's all cool. It's mechanical. You know, like we, we restored it, you know, we love it. Those and are like, dangerous. People yeah. get hurt on those. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah, exa yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, like, you know, and like, you know, you show kids some, like some, some, some advanced stuff like that, or you show them a technique that they'd never seen in a textbook. And they're like, well, how did you figure that out? And it's like, because I was forced to figure it out, you know, and like, there's definitely a lack of that, I guess. Like just the yeah, because I remember when I, I I took machine trades, and like math has never been my thing. Yeah, I, I'm not a mathematician I, either. I'm, I'm not great at math. I I call myself like a redneck machinist, you know. Like uh, some of my and I've learned and and it's kind of cool. Like we're talking about machining, you know, right now, and that's one of my passions in work. And I and I and I I spent some time with this uh this this Filipino machinist, this guy Artemio. And he, he came from the Philippines machine shop, dirt floor machine shop, man. This guy was making giant spur gears. And this guy, when I tell you, could make anything and with minimal, you know, like, you know, he spoke good English, you know, but like, sometimes I would be like, mm, did he really understand? You know, did I do a good job explaining right, to him what right, I wanted? Right. And then he would come to me like 10 minutes later and be like, hey, first, check this out. And I'm like, no, where's the one that I told you to make? That's the one I gave you. And he's like, no, this is the one I made, you know? And, like, same thing, like you were just saying, you know, like, math wasn't his strong point, but, like, he knew some basic, some basic things, you know, like, you know, Sokotoa, you know, you tell that to a kid nowadays, they're going to be like, what is that, you know? Well, or, I, I just remember sitting in my machine trades class, and then uh, Tom Rossiso was like, yep, we got to do this, you know, right angle trigonometry, and I'm like, whoa, 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 like, right angle what? I'm like, yeah, I might as well just get out of here right now, because I'm wasting your time. Right. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, listen, if you're building this, this, he goes, you have this dimension, this dimension. What do you need to get to get to that dimension? Yeah. I'm like, well, that's easy. I figured it out. And he's like, well, there you go. You just did right angle trig. Yeah. And I was like, wow. So, I mean, I had a hard time in a textbook or on a chalkboard. Sure. I, I couldn't do that I'm shit. I'm the same way. But, you know, if I could touch it, I could feel it. Yep. I could, you know, put hands on it, then I could figure it out. And that's like the biggest thing I try to do with the, the, younger, the younger guys we get is, uh, is I'm like, hey... First of all, I'm not going to let you do something that's dangerous or that I think is going to harm the ship or, or harm you, you know? And I always try to give them the opportunity to put their hands on it. You know, it's like, 
I don't I don't need to rebuild a pump or or, 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 or you know pull pull motor bearings and and do stuff like that like you know I could give a, a, a young kid a, a motor and be like hey good luck you know try to figure it out and you know we have we have an awesome tech library on the ship we have a manual for everything you know and usually they go there first and and the manual is only so good right it'll give you like a basic understanding and then you just have to tackle it and do it you know and if that that would be some advice i would give to those young kids is say hey don't be afraid to put your hands on things and figure out how things work you know because it's so critical especially about what we do you might not be able to you know we can't sit here I might not be able to explain to you, you know, how a rotary vane compressor works exactly, but I got the rough idea of it right. and I know the components, you know, or, or anything like that. You know what I mean? If you can give them a, if a, a good general idea or the kids can give you a good general idea, it's like, all right, I, I can always tell. I know what, what guys are going to make it and which guys are going to have a hard time. And then a lot of times the guys that I think are going to have a hard time, they don't want to sail. So it's like they, they almost like weed themselves out, you know. So I was thinking, I've gone on some deep dives. I was going to ask you this question. I don't know if it's a little wild or not. Pirates. Is there oh, ever is there yeah. ever a worry about? Dude, for sure. Pirates are pirates are real. Uh, anyone that tells you oh, pirates don't attack ships, there's, there's ships getting pirated right now, you know? Um, so what what we do on the row rows, um, I'll try to try to paint a picture because this is a podcast, right? And I think I think we were talking about maybe I was going to give you some pictures of like the ship and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, but we'll, we'll put some up on the Instagram. Page. Yeah, if if you want to picture this in your mind right now, take a shoebox and turn it up on its side, and that's kind of what my ship looks like, right? And we live on top of it. So when we go through pirated waters, most of these companies have policies now, you know, because of the the Maersk incident there, you know, that was like a big one that was in the media. Um, but they have these policies that say, hey, you guys aren't going to go through pirated waters without a security team. So for us, and, and remind me, I've got some pictures of these guys. They're, they're really cool guys. A lot of them we get are special forces, retired, British, and they're, they're funny guys, you know, you know. And so we'll take on like four of these guys. So, you know, for example, if we were going through the Suez, I've been through the Suez many times. You know, we go through the Suez and depending on where we're going... You know, after you poke out of the Suez and, and you're coming down the, you know, the west coast of Africa, it's pirate waters. So the company wants the security team, you know, from like the Suez to India and then they get off and go to India and then we're safe, you know. But then there's also like in the Straits of Malacca and Malaysia and stuff like that where you, we're going to have a security team. So what they do for us is what we do is, is we bring these security guys on board. They give us a brief. They always brief us when they first get on. They, you know, they have all their gear. They have their guns. They have their ammunition. They have their bulletproof vest. And they're like, hey, guys, don't be afraid. That's what they always say. They're like, we're here. They're like, nothing to be afraid of. You know, on a ship, when we go into pirate waters, we have a safe place we go that we can lock down. Uh, there's certain, like, duress words and things like that. You know, it's all, like, you know, basically a plan of attack for what would happen right. if we were pirated. And then what we do is they, they call it hardening the ship. So, like, we put, like, barbed wire near the low entrances. I've seen videos where they put barbed wire yep. around, you know, oh, yeah. around the railings. Yeah, you've seen those videos where it's like, and they're shooting at the Just unloading on them. Yeah, it's it's crazy, you know, and it's, like, wild to see that on social media. And then, but then in the back of your head, you got to think, wait a minute, dude, my buddy John does work on ships, you know. Does he ever done anything like that? When you actually think of it like that, it's pretty crazy. But yeah, no, people always ask about pirates and like they, they don't really want to take a row row, I guess, because like 
what are they going to do? I mean, I think, I think what pirates really want to do is they want ransom money for Americans or like nationals that are, you know, countries that can pay, you know, Oh, you know, or like it, they're going to take an oil tanker and just take the fuel out of it, you right. know, and then maybe hold someone hostage, you know? So like, we're really not a, I wouldn't say like a really selectable pirate target, but I guess we could be if we had like military cargo or something sensitive that they knew about maybe. But like, I don't, I don't really worry too much about where I'm at now with pirates, but yeah, they're, they're out there for sure. And like those security guys are awesome. They, they, they come on the ships, they bent, that's all they do, you know? So they know the culture on board ships. There's always two of them up at all times. You, you know, they, they don't even let us go out on deck with a flashlight because they're like, don't go out on deck on flashlight because what if, are you a pirate? You know, they shoot yeah. first, ask questions later. I don't I, know. They probably don't, you know, but they always, they always, there's certain like rules we have to follow, but like, these companies are really doing everything they can to mitigate, you know, pirate pirate yeah. risk. So, well, John, this whole this has been awesome. Yeah, it's uh, like uh, we could keep going. You know, oh, we, mean, we we we, could, we, we there, could, there's gonna have to be a part two because no, like, there'll definitely be a part two. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm always glad when you're around. You know, we spent some time fishing. Yeah, you know, either on the ocean or Absolutely. on the ice. Yeah. Uh, some good times for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm very happy that you had, you had me come on. I was really excited, you know. And I'm I'm like just looking at my clock and how long we've been talking. And we talked, you know, before. I was like thinking about like you know we covered a lot of like cool stuff, but there's there's more, you know. So no, we we, we definitely could go on forever for for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. No, two and, old uh, Alfred boys just yeah. just just shooting the breeze, really. You yeah, know? for sure. Uh, but the whole idea behind this podcast was. If you don't know, I do have another podcast, the Bone Pit Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Uh, I'm real big into the Jiu-Jitsu community. Um, give that one a listen if you want. Uh, but basically, you know, for the first... I've wanted to do this podcast before I did the Jiu-Jitsu one. I figured if I did the Jiu-Jitsu podcast, I'd be able to talk to people that I related with. And, yeah. you know, just to get the feel for doing a podcast. Absolutely. And then this one was, you know, kind of my main goal. Yeah, I think I think this is going to connect with a bigger audience, maybe that right. it expands. You know, you might have your jiu-jitsu crowd that's like into this stuff too, but then you're also going to hit yeah. everyone else that's so just this... like, what is a merchant marine or, or or anything? You know, like we were talking about, like you know, some of our friends in town have local businesses, like bring these guys in. And just see what it's all about, you know, and just see what they do and see what they're thinking about. And so that, that that's basically the idea behind this one is I want to talk to, you know, guys like you that have, you know, these wild different careers. Yeah, we didn't know. even talk about like crazy stories. We talked about just kind of like a general overview. We didn't talk about crazy failures of machinery I've seen right. or like crazy things I've seen in foreign countries or, I mean, we could go, you could go anywhere with this, yeah. you know. No, what, you're going to come back on. <laughs> there'll be a part two so yeah. so maybe like maybe you'll have like 10 listens and like three people will want to hear part two or something yeah. you know I, I hope it's like add a bunch of zeros to those numbers though. well i told you i'm pretty shocked as far as like who actually listens to this stuff yeah it was that was cool. i was showing you the numbers and stuff for my jujitsu podcast and yeah i was really impressed that's that's amazing it, you know? it's pretty wild that you know it's been all over the world already in a pretty yeah. short time so yeah that's... but i was trying to think to myself I'm like who do i want to have on first for this and you know, you came to mind when I was like, who has a pretty unordinary... Yeah, at first, at first I was like, why is, why is Justin, why does he want me to do a jiu-jitsu con, uh, you know, uh, 
podcast and I was like I know nothing about that <laughs> you know it's gonna be a pretty strange podcast but then you're like no it's about it's about you know like cool jobs and like just like people's experiences in their jobs and stuff like that and I was like well that I can talk about you know and then the, here we are you know yeah I mean how long have we been down here uh well we've recorded for an hour and eight minutes now that's, that's so. pretty good and it feels like we've been here for five minutes you know right I mean the jutsu mats are right there yeah if, if no you... We're we're in the bone pit. I mean, we could we could throw down. It would definitely it would definitely get views for a different reason. I, I, I think you know it'd be like Fat Man breaks leg in bone pit, you know, or something like that. Yeah, maybe your wife texted me beforehand to make sure you can't make it back to the ship. You know? Yeah, yeah, she would she would probably be happy. You know, if I I stay at home, you know, for sure. That's funny. But uh, I'm super glad you came on. I'm super glad you came over and did this. Uh, yeah, and and I, uh, I'll I'll end my side of it by by thanking you. I'm I'm like honored that you asked me. Really, I was super excited. I know I showed up a little bit late. Thanks to my wife for reminding me. Um, I'm excited to do part two because like there's just so much more we can talk about, you know. And, and if anything, you know that this is this is a cool opportunity for us too. Maybe that there's young kids that don't know what they want to do in life or something like that. So oh, for sure, we could hit. You know, you might hit that audience too, where people are like, "Whoa, what's well, Emerging Marine?" You know. And then they're like, wow, this guy is like traveling all over the place. He has some cool stories or, you know, like what's, you know, any other job they might not know, you know, and it might be a good chance for people to learn about stuff, you know. So, so if people are want, want to learn more, you know, I think you guys need to talk to Justin and be like, hey, we want to hear more about this guy or that guy or, you know, whoever's down the road. You might, you might, you might bring people some opportunity with this too, which is yeah. kind of cool. That's why I'm all about it. You know, yeah, it gets the it's, word kind, out. it's kind of the whole idea behind it is the, the jiu-jitsu one is great. I love it. Yeah. You got a good following there. And I do have a really good following. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like this one could, you know, reach a few more people Definitely. and, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm going for. Well, no doubt, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's, it's been awesome. Uh, check out. The 207 Collective on Instagram. Give that page a follow. And uh, if you, yourself, have a pretty interesting job or, you know, you have some kind of off-the-wall kind of side hobby or, you know, could be anything. If you're just an interesting person in general, you know, shoot me a DM. We'll talk and we'll get you on here probably. John, thank you. Thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. Are you going to be back for uh, any ice fishing this year? I am hoping uh, winter. I know you guys are going to be like, "What is this guy's problem?" But I love the winter. I love ice fishing. You know, me, me and Justin, like we're saying, we fish a lot. But I, I'm, I think I'm going to be home for the entire winter. I don't want to jinx myself, but I think I will be home the entire winter. But it can always change at the drop of a hat. Awesome. Yeah. So thanks again, Justin. Yeah, I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you, and uh, thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Bye.